Well, good morning. Just in case you don't know, my name's Craig. Last name is Darling. I've had to live with that all my life, by the way. <laughs> so. And then my wife, I married my wife, uh, obviously. Um, Craig, why don't you say something more profound? Okay. Um, so I got married, and my wife's name is Deborah, or Debbie. And she said, you know, getting married to you, I feel like Debbie Darling, I'm, I'm a hostess cupcake. And I'm almost reluctant to say this, but when we lived in Indianapolis, you know, when you had newspapers and you had the sports page, well, the sports page lots of times had little advertisements for men's clubs. One day I opened it up and there was a picture and it said, Debbie Darling's panty pull. And, uh, and I went, holy smoke, I didn't know that. Uh, anyway, it was a different Debbie Darling, let me just assure you. If you saw me walk up this morning very slowly, your eyes were not deceiving you. Um, yesterday, I was prepping, well, I was sitting down going through my notes. I was doing a wedding. Um, I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, on campus, and I was officiating the wedding of one of our hockey players and one of our tennis players and uh, up in Grand Rapids, and my wife said, could you help me just buckle the shoe? And I kind of pushed away from the table, and I have no idea what I did. And of course, some of us know at our age, when we do little things like that, uh, the next thing you know, you're, you're hobbling, which is exactly what happened. And so <laughs> I am hobbling a little bit this morning, so I was, it was a very slow, uh, slow ascent here this morning. Um, I've kind of come to the conclusion, I don't know if any of you, else of you have done this, but uh, as you're getting older, which I, I can feel, and I know I am, that there's essentially three age categories. Youth, middle age, and my you look good. And so, <laughs> so if anybody says that to me, I know exactly what you're saying. I talked to one couple this morning. I said, sometimes I walk into rooms these days. I'm not even sure why I'm there anymore. But I always think that there's a hint in the refrigerator. So the last time I was with you um, and I spoke from this pulpit, uh, we were installing Pastor Brad, if you remember those days, uh, not that long ago, but a while back. And uh, quite honestly, I'm still glad to know he's the pastor of the church. So that's, that's a wonderful testament to you as well. And uh, Pastor Brad and I have been friends for many, many years, and uh, so it's always a joy to know that he's well-received where he is at. This morning, um, our text is, I think, very familiar to most of us. And I, I have this little thing here. Um, we are going to be talking about the grace of God. And uh, I'm going to be asking you if, if you turn in Bibles. So I work with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I have a meeting with like 50 college students once a week, 9 o'clock or 8.30, 9 o'clock on campus every Wednesday when, when school's going. I'm also the chaplain for the football team, so we have a lot of athletes that I work with. If I say and get up and speak to them, I don't say anything about the Bible, although they know that I have my Bible, and I encourage them to read their Bible. I just say, just take out your phones. 
because that's, that's for everybody, um, you know, that's 25 and younger or 35 and younger. That's where they read their Bible these days. They have no clue of context because they don't know what book follows another, but they can get to the, they can get to the passage quickly on their phones. And so if you have a phone and you don't have a Bible this morning, you can turn to Joshua, the second chapter. And uh, you'll be familiar with this chapter as we read just a little bit. I'm not going to read all of it, uh, but you'll be familiar. And, and I'm making that assumption, actually, this morning as we come to this text. Probably most of you have never heard this name, Brittany Del Lamora. It's not a, not a household name. Uh, you would never have seen her on some network television program. Uh, she has never won an award for her craft, probably never been interviewed, never really been on the cover of any popular magazine, Seventeen, or Good Housekeeping, or People. Um, but she does hold a niche of notoriety. Brittany Delamora was a female film star in the pornography industry. For seven years, she made explicit films, and uh, that was her world. That was her livelihood. That was the context in which she did everything. And by her own admission, she would say that those years were spent in perpetual drug abuse, and uh, these were the labels that identified her, porn star, drug addict, not exactly a cover girl for the Girl Scouts. But then something amazing took place in Brittany's life, something that changed everything. Because in the height of her unique celebrity, in the height of her addiction, amazing grace took place just like we sang about. She heard the gospel of the grace, of the glory of God, the glory of Christ. And when she heard the word proclaimed, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans chapter 10. When she heard the word through no merit of her own, though immersed in her own sin, she believed that God could forgive her past, that God could cleanse her from all unrighteousness, that God could cleanse her from every foul thing that she had ever done, that God could recreate in her and make her a new creation. She believed it. And by his grace, he began to change. He changed her heart, and he changed her affection. And she dedicated herself after she had trusted Christ and had the touch of God on her life. She dedicated herself to a heart of purity. And she turned away from her past. And for one year, she relinquished all dating of men. She turned away from it. And she turned her life for that year totally over to God. Ultimate, ultimately, after that year, she met a man, and would you believe it? She married a pastor. And she does have some regrets. You know, she just can't wipe away all the films 
that she was in and that she starred in because of contract agreements. But she knows this. She knows that she's clean. She knows that the old has passed away. And she knows that the new has come. And so this morning, the grace of God that rescued the porn star Brittany Del Amara is the same exact grace that rescues another woman with a sordid reputation. The prostitute Rahab, the harlot of the city of Jericho. And we're going to examine her life in Joshua chapter 2. And here's what we're going to encounter. And this is why I titled this, this message, Great Grace. That God deals graciously with our failings. And he is a rewarder of all who genuinely seek him by faith, trusting that he can restore their past and has a plan for their future. And so we're going to look at that this morning as we check out the book of Joshua. Um, let's see. So I'd like to have you, I don't know if that's the right, yeah, I think that's the right thing. I'd like to have you look at Joshua chapter 2. And I am just going to read verse 1 this morning as we begin. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go out and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. And they lodged there. I'm just going to move this to the first point. God deals graciously with our failings. God deals graciously with our failings. You'll notice in this text, well, can I make a little confession? When I started to study this, this text, I mean, this, I'm just going to tell you, this is sometimes how the, the mind of a pastor kind of goes or the mind of a Christian worker, and it's, it's not always good, but... As I read that first text that the son of Joshua, or Joshua the son of Nun, sent out two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, my first thought, quite honestly, was, I am glad I'm not from the city of Shittim. That's all I thought about. <laughs> so that's, that's my confession this morning. But you'll notice in verse 1, again, it says that the men came to the house of the prostitute whose name was Rahab. And as we go through the various mentions of Rahab in, in the Bible, in Joshua and elsewhere, and I'll show you them, uh, you don't have to turn to them, but I'm going to just uh, refer to them. In Joshua 6.22, after the walls of Jericho tumble down, Joshua commands his men to go to the house of the prostitute. Joshua 6.22. And then in Joshua 6.25, it says, Rahab the prostitute and her father's household were saved alive. And now we go into the New Testament, and we come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And Hebrews chapter 11, as many of you know, is what we might call the Hall of Fame of Faith. You know there's only two women listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith? 
in Hebrews chapter 11. One is Sarah, and one is Rahab the prostitute. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. And then in James chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Rahab the prostitute was justified when she received the messenger. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute. Do you get what the Bible is trying to say to us this morning? Scriptures are making a point. Rahab was a very imperfect woman. Rahab had her failings. She had intimately known many men. She had a reputation, as we know. Rahab had pleasured people. She profited from selling her body. And yet, think about this, yet it's this woman that God uses. It's this woman that God deals graciously with. It's this prostitute who finds favor with God. It's Rahab who, is, who God in his sovereign power and freedom and grace chooses to extract and, and make his own. Do you feel the implications of this woman in our own life right now? Rahab the prostitute. You know, I, uh, I was coming back from downtown Washington, D.C. about three months ago. I, had visited, I have two daughters that live in the D.C. area. And my wife and I had gone to a museum that had a special, some special showing. And we Ubered down, because I didn't want to drive into the city. I know parking's a mess in Washington, D.C. We were staying in Maryland, just outside of D.C., where our daughter lives. And um, so we, we Ubered down, went to the museum, called another Uber, got in, and I was in the front seat, and I sat next to this, this young man. And uh, as I looked at him, I said, man, this, this is a tall man. And he was an Afro-American man. And uh, we started kind of talking. I just, I just, you know, was engaging a little bit with him. And he started to kind of open up and tell me a little bit about who he, who he was. And, uh, I, and I asked him, you know, are there other things you do besides drive Uber? And he said, oh, yeah, I have, I have, some, I have kind of a record company. I have a couple other things that I do. And I went, wow. And he said, yeah, I do, I do Christian rap. And I thought about that for a second, and I said, well, why did he reveal that to me? And I said, well, you know, you're talking, you're talking to the choir here, because I'm a chaplain, and, uh, you know, we, ha we have something going here. And then he said this. He said, well, listen, I have, a, I have kind of a code name on YouTube, and I ha I've had I don't know how many thousands of hits he had. I mean, you know, not hits like. <laughs> but he said, this is what he said. He said, you can go, and, and here's, my, here's my name that I go under, and you can see all my rap. And his name was Spider the Chief. Spider spelled, in case you want to look him up, and I know some of the older generation are probably going to go there as soon as they get out of church. Spider, S-P-Y-D-E-R, duh, D-A, space, duh, Chief, C-H-I-E-F-F. You've got to remember that. But if you go there, here's what you'll find. You'll find a man who is rapping for Jesus. 
And he's talking about sin, and he's talking about drugs, and he's talking about turning, and he's talking about changing, and he's talking about restoration, and he's talking about what the Lord has done in his life. And he said, I used to weigh 300 pounds. I go, no way. He goes, when I came to God, by his grace, when God saved me, I lost weight. I had, a, I had a girlfriend, and we had a kid, and I started reading the Bible, and as I read the Bible, and began to understand what God was saying and how he was speaking to me by the power of his Holy Spirit. I realized I needed to marry this woman. And so he married his girlfriend. She came to Christ. Um, he now said, I have a teenage daughter, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Um, you know, they, they had a daughter in their marriage. And he spoke to me about how he wanted to influence the hearts and the minds of young black people. And God had taken a life that was into, he said he was into drugs. He said he could hardly get up in the morning. He said everything in his life was just destruction. And then God came. That is the power of the grace of God. And it's a transforming power. You know what? If you are a believer today, you're not the same person you were when you trusted Christ. You can't be. Because the power of the Holy Spirit does a work of transformation, changing you from the inside out. And Spider, the chief, is a changed man because of the grace of God. That's the implications you get when you read about Rahab, a prostitute. When you read about Brittany Delamar, a porn star. Can I just say this this morning? I don't care what your past looks like. The grace of God can forgive it. I don't care what your past looks like. The grace of God can cleanse it. I don't care how wasted your life feels at this moment. The grace of God can restore it. I don't care how much guilt is weighing you down at this minute, but the grace of God can lift those greatest burdens. Listen, I think it's very interesting that in the book of Joshua, the first person that we meet as, as they come into the promised land, as Israelite comes into, Israelites come into the promised land, the first person that we meet in the text, is a prostitute. Israel steps into the promised land, and there is Rahab, the prostitute. Do you think this morning that maybe I can't be useful for the kingdom of God because of my sin? Do you, do you have this thought ever that, well, you know, I, I just, I'm in such bondage to so many things can I just say this this morning? The grace of God can release you from that bondage. The grace of God can transform your heart and your mind. The grace of God can use you. God deals graciously with your failings. Um, some of you know this, but I used to work for an organization called India Rural Evangelical Fellowship. We called it IRAS. In fact, Pastor Brad came with me to India. And uh, we work in a very remote part of India, and uh, it's, a, it's a tough travel in, and it's, it, it's changed a lot, but it, it is, it's, really a, it's really a kind of a dark place. Well, I was speaking in an outdoor one evening in an outdoor assembly of probably about six to 800 people seated on plastic 
and I was on a stage made of hay bales. We did have a microphone, and that night I decided to preach a message on Jesus' encounter with the leper in Luke chapter 5. Not a leopard, but a leper. Skin disease kind of thing. And if you remember the story, I'm, I'm not going to rehash too much of it, but if you remember the story, Jesus' reputation is beginning to gain traction. People know that he's a healer. People know that he has some sort of unusual power. And whatever the motives of some people are, they're coming to Jesus because they believe that they can, can be healed. And this leper, who is covered with all kinds of stuff, and in that, those days, of course, you knew that they would take lepers and they would put them in leper colonies to separate them from healthy people. If a leper ever came down the road in the days of Jesus, everybody would move to the side and the leper would have to say, they would have a little bell that they would ring, and they would ring it and go, unclean, 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 and everybody went this way. If there was ever a marginalized kind of people, it was a leper. Nobody wanted to associate Nobody wanted to touch. Nobody wanted to interact. And this leper comes, we know, in Luke chapter 5, and he comes, and immediately he bows down at the feet of Jesus. And he says these words. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? He does something so unconventional. He puts his hand on him. Nobody would have done that. Everybody would have run. Jesus put his hand on him, and he said, I'm willing. Be clean. You know, whenever Jesus says something, he creates what he commands. Be clean. And the text tells us immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus creates whatever he commands. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. What happens? A dead man hobbles out of a tomb after four days of being dead. That's the power of Christ. Be clean. Well, I got done with that message, and I said something to the effect of, we're all like that leper, every one of us. And that's true of you, too. We're all unclean. Every person in this room, according to the Scriptures. We all fall short of the glory of God. But you can be changed. And you can be changed if you believe that Christ has the power to change you. Well, at the end of that message, we do kind of a call for people to come forward. And I'm up just about this high, kind of standing, and a, a group of people have come, we've prayed, and all of a sudden, a beautiful young Indian girl, probably in her late teens or early 20s, comes and throws herself on a bale of hay that's up here. And she starts wailing and weeping, and, and she's speaking in Telugu. I have no idea what she's saying, and I turn to my friend, who was my interpreter, and I said, what's she saying? And she said, I am more unclean than the leper. I am more unclean than the leper. And we went to her. And I didn't speak to her because I don't speak Telugu. But my partners did. And we explained to her the grace of God. And it was just a miracle that she even showed up at that meeting because she had come from out of town to visit a friend who decided, hey, let's go to this meeting. And the grace of God touched her life. I think you understand what I'm saying. Nobody 
is out of reach from the grace of God. There's an old hymn that I know a lot of us like. A lot of, a lot of us like old hymns. I do. I love, I love contemporary music. Our first song tonight, today, I mean, I, that brings me to tears every time I, I sing it. It's a wonderful song. But this is a song some of you will remember, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Somebody remember that one? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace. You see, Rahab was the recipient of God's grace. Let me just kind of tell you what's going to happen here in the rest of this chapter. I'm not going to read it all. But the spies come to the house of the prostitute. The king finds this out, the king of Jericho. So he sends messengers. He sends these men there. And they said, hey, where are the two guys? Where are the spies from Israel? And, and she kind of lies. She does. There's no doubt about it. She says, hey, listen, uh, they were here. I, I didn't know Israel. I didn't know where they came from. Um, but they've left. And they went out the gate before dark, but if you pursue them right now, I think you could get them. And so there was a, a posse of guys that left as the gates went down, pursuing them to the forge of the, of the Jordan River. And then she goes up on the roof where she has hidden these spies, the two spies from Israel, and she goes and, and she speaks to them. And this is what she says. She says, I want you to know that we understand that the Lord has given you this land. He's given you, given, given you guys Jericho and all of its ha- inhabitants. And fear has just come down like a, a fog on all of us because we know we're melting away. We know that the Lord God is going to give, give us over to you. And we've heard about the, how the Lord opened the Red Sea. We heard about how he dealt with the Canaanite kings, King Sihon and King Og, and how he just destroyed them utterly, and our hearts have melted. And she said, this is what I know. The Lord God is the God of heavens above, and he's the God of the earth below. I believe that. Now swear to me by the Lord that I will be dealt kindly with if I deal kindly with you, and that you will allow my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters, my aunts and my uncles, all to be saved. Because I won't tell anybody. And the men said, our life for your life. And they went out of the gate. They hid for a while until this posse of people came back. And they eventually got to Joshua. And when they got to Joshua, this is verse 24 of chapter 2. They say this to Joshua, truly the Lord has given us all this land into our hands. The inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Melt away 
because of us. I don't know if we have this verse up there. Sorry. Let me just quote Ephesians chapter 2.8. We had it up before. Ephesians chapter 2.8 says, For by grace, God's unmerited favor, you've been saved. How? Through faith. Not of yourselves, the gift of God. Not as a result of any work. For by grace, we've been saved. And that is true for Rahab, the prostitute as well. God graciously deals with her family. God graciously deals with your family. The second point I want us to see is this. Uh, God rewards your faith. God rewards your faith. Um, I'm just going to turn here. Maybe it's up here. Let's see if I can. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm not following. I'm not following my own uh, verses very well. But let me ju- let me just read this out of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. This is verses 30 through 31. Well, I'll start in 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been erected for seven days, encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you see that? Rahab had believed. By faith, Rahab trusted God. Rahab believed, and she understood that this God was the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. And as I said before, only two women in all of chapter 11 are mentioned. It's Sarah and it's Rahab. And we know that in chapter 11 here in Hebrews, in verse 6, it says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't just please God by trying to be a good person, whatever it is. The essence of your relationship with God comes because of faith. And God rewarded her faith. God rewards your faith as well as you trust him in every kind of situation. But you have to understand, this woman was a Canaanite. These were people hostile and opposed to Israel. They worshipped a variety of gods. And God himself, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, explicitly says to Israel, hey, you have to destroy, completely destroy them, otherwise they will teach you to follow all the things that are detestable in their worship of their gods. And you will sin against the Lord. And this is what she was steeped in. This was a society where... um, Practices were abominable. Child sacrifice, cult prostitution, fertility cults. Rahab was turning away from her culture, turning away from her past. You know what we call that, don't we? 
We call that repentance. A 180 degree turn away from your past. God rewarded her faith. It was a very simple faith. But she was turning away from her past. And she was not simply saved from death, but according to Joshua, chapter 6, verse 25, she was saved as well as her whole family. Saved, and it says in the text that they lived in Israel to this day. That Israel didn't abandon them because they had, she had been kind to the Israelites. God saved her and her household, and they lived in the community of faith. Her household was not rejected. She entered into the community of faith of Israel. She believed, and she was rewarded. And it took some guts for her to do this, because her faith was very, very basic. But she didn't waver in unbelief. She believed that God was capable of judgment, and she believed that God was capable of salvation. And she saw the reality of a God who governed the heavens and governed the inhabitants of the earth. And she trusted him. And she believed. And the spies and Joshua and the people of Israel treated her kindly because she had treated them kindly. And her faith, her belief, granted her entrance into the kingdom of God. Sometimes I think we don't, maybe think, oh, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't, I don't know if my faith is, is that big a deal. I, I don't know if I could really, really trust God all the time. You know, I, I, was, I, I love reading the New Testament. I, I love to read the stories of Jesus' encounters with people. And there's one encounter that really fascinates me. Do you know there's only one time in the Bible, one time in the Bible, where Jesus, it says, is amazed or marveled at someone's faith. And you know who it was? It was a Roman centurion. It was a Roman centurion that for some reason had friendship with a lot of Jewish people. He'd actually helped build a synagogue. But he was a, he was a pagan. He was a man trained in war. He was a man who led a hundred soldiers. He was a man that was stationed there so he could suppress Israel. Roman centurion. And he had, this, he had this slave or this worker, and he valued him a great deal. And he was sick on the verge of death, if you remember the story. And so he says to some of these Jewish guys that are his friends, he said, I've heard about this Jesus. Could you go and talk to him and see if he would come to my house and possibly lay his hands upon my servant? I value him and heal him. And so this group goes out, and they find Jesus just after he preaches. And they come to him, and they say, sir, sir, there." There's this man, he's a centurion. He's a friend of Israel. He helped us build a synagogue. He's really worthy for you to come to his house. And so Jesus said, okay. And they start heading that direction. And at the same time, after they've been there a little while and on their, on their trip, maybe halfway there, uh, the centurion sends another group of Jewish friends to go meet them. And these men then come with another message. And they said, the centurion says this. He says, I know that you're a man under authority, just like I am. If I say to one of my troops, go, they go. 
If I say to one of my troops, come, they come. If I say to a servant, get this, they get this. I'm a man under authority, and I know that all you have to do, Jesus, now this is being given by one of the Jewish people, but he's, he's still back at his home, the centurion. All you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word, and my servant will be well. And what happens? Jesus eventually does say the word, but he looks up at the whole crowd of all these people, Israelites, and he says, of all the men, he saved me. I'm marveling at this man's faith. Amazed. Because he believed just that much. A pagan. And what I want you to see this morning, as we kind of are getting close to wrapping up here, is that God rewards your faith, as small as you may think it is. This morning... Can I ask you this? What do you believe that God can do for you? What would happen if you trusted God? Maybe you have to relinquish some bitterness or some, some sort of tension in a relationship. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness of a relative. What if you believed and trusted Christ, the God of heaven and the God of earth? What if you just trusted him because you exercised faith? You see, Rahab was rewarded. She walked away from her past. She turned. She believed that God could give her a new life. And friends, without faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. God graciously deals with our failings. God rewards our faith. And the last thing that I just want you to see this morning is that God also knows your future. God knows your future. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have your phone, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This is one of those places that most people kind of skip over. Talking, it's a genealogy of Jesus. Um, but as we go through it, you come down to verse 5, and it says, Salmon was the father of... Salmon was... Let's see was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. So there you have it. This is one of the places where Rahab is not spoken of as a prostitute, but she's in the lineage of Jesus. Do you think God didn't know that this was going to take place? Do you think it was just an accident that somehow Rahab shows up and that she in turn, births um, Boaz. And then Boaz becomes the father of Obed, and Obed, Jesse, Jesse, David. You see, God has a plan. God knew. He planned for this prostitute. She was the great, great, grand, great, great grandmother along the line somewhere of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the application. This is just what I want. I, I need to wrap this up. But do you think that God doesn't know what's going on in your life? He does. He knows absolutely what's going on in your life. And he wants to use you. He doesn't want you to linger in unbelief. He wants to use you. You know, I, I, I said at the very beginning this morning that I, uh, because I'm a chaplain at, at, for the Western Bronco football team and I work with athletes, yesterday 
I did a wedding for one of our hockey players and a tennis player. The hockey player was a freshman who had come here. He'd played a lot of what's called junior hockey in Canada. He was ready to leave school. And uh, he had a dorm advisor that said, hey, why don't you check out the Fellowship of Christian Athlete Knitting at the W Club? They meet on Wednesday night. And so he decided to go. But he'd called his dad already in tears and say, Dad, I'm in the wrong spot. I need to leave. Well, at the same time, there were two girls, tennis players. This girl was, one girl was from Kansas City, Missouri. And they were walking to the same meeting, to our FCA meeting. And they kind of collided. They met on the way, walked up, started talking to each other. And they came into this meeting with about maybe 60 or 65 student athletes and several of our, our key guys leading, leading the meeting. And you know what? Drew, the guy, suddenly found a fellowship of people, like-minded people. And so did his girlfriend, eventually, Liz. And now, four years later, they get married. You think God didn't orchestrate those details? A kid from Canada, a girl from Kansas City, who wanted to play in the South, but somehow decided to come to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And then they meet, walking to a Fellowship of Christian Athlete meeting. You know, now they're husband and wife. They stood before, I don't know how many kids we had at our meeting, but it's college students. They stood before their college friends on a secular campus and said this, when we met, we decided that we were going to stay pure and that we were not going to engage in sexual relations. And we have preserved that because we want to honor Christ. And yesterday, they reunited. God, God knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And you know what? Rahab becomes for us really a, a, an example of how God is going to do a great ingathering in, of his church and that how Israel has rejected in many ways God. Rahab foreshadows the non-Jewish people ingrafting in to the church, people outside joining the family of God. And she's a picture to us of someone that is not Jewish, but someone that can come in. Anybody can come in to the fold of God. He knows the future. And so this morning, I just want to remind you of these points, that God deals graciously with your failings, that God will reward your faith, and that God knows your future. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these minutes together and for this, your church. We thank you that all of us fail. All of us have blemishes. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And somehow, in your amazing grace, you have called us to be your children, and you granted us forgiveness. Thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great blessing. And now would you help us as we leave to be reminded of your word. Let it transform our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. It's going slow. That reminder of the wonderful, awesome grace of God in our lives. And may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all today. You are dismissed.